right. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, unfortunately, it's not going to get any better than that. So that's about the gist of it. So um, that's great. Thank you, Pastor Adriana, for that. It's wonderful. Um, well, as we've said, uh, school is back in session. So summer is over. Is that okay? Are we happy about that? You're sad about that? All right. One of you are happy. The rest of you are like sad. So that's awkward. Um, it's great, though. I'm glad you're it's good for you. That's awesome. No, I'm with you. I like, yeah, summer was good. Early season is a good thing. Um, so we, uh, we launched kids off into school this week, and that was an adventure. Um, and uh, school brings routine and, um, and earlier bedtimes for everybody, because that means earlier wake-up times in the morning, which isn't always fun. Um, but it's a good transition together. Um, the thing about our text today that we've brought into is we're going to turn a few moments to Luke 13 is where our text comes from. Um, let me ask you a question. Um, what are some things and illnesses or sicknesses or emotional pains that have defined some of you? Um, my uh, family um, has been hit by polio a long time ago. Uh, my family mostly grew up in Minnesota and North Dakota. And um, when my uncle, great uncle, was little, he contracted polio. And actually, they, they, they was contracted through a Sunday school class. And the Nazarene Church, Minneapolis First Church, Sunday school class. And actually, the teacher passed away, and two of the kids died, but several of the kids lived. Uh, my uncle ended up living, um, but he was on crutches most all of his life. Um, and was well, one of the most amazing people I've ever met. Became a school teacher, phenomenal storyteller. But his polio um, was uh, kind of impacted his entire life. My father, who was actually um, the kind of the generations were there. My, my grandmother was older than her brother, my uncle, great uncle, actually. Um, my father got polio about uh, seven years um, later. And my grandmother saw it right away and took him into the hospital. And so my father, who had it on his left side, was impacted Ultimately, they caught it in time, so the impacts weren't as great. Um, and so my, my dad didn't need crutches. You know, his, his left side would occasionally be actually as, as he was ambidextrous. So he could do both things left and right side because when the polo hit his strong side, he had to compensate. Um, what was curious, though, many of you are aware of this, is what happened about, beginning about 20 years ago. That was called post-polio. Really know about that illness. What happened to a lot of those folks who had survived is a lot of neurological and muscle issues cropped up again after 30, 40, and 50 years. And both my uncle uh, and my father uh, faced um, kind of new impacts in their life. My uncle, more severe, he had to go from his crutches to a wheelchair. Um, but there are recognition, recognitions in which sometimes diseases uh, can linger that we haven't thought about. I know for some of us, not only things, some things linger for a while that are physical issues, but also emotional issues. Um, perhaps there are things, um, hopefully you have great things in your life too, but also some hard things that if you were honest, they've not really gone away. They've lingered um, for a while. And some of the scars we hold um, can be debilitating over long periods of time. Well, our text today um, is about Jesus going to church and him healing somebody who had a disease for a long time. But as is the case, some folks weren't always thrilled about this healing. So if you're able to stand, I invite you. Um, our gospel again is Luke 13. I'm reading from verses 10 through 17. Again, I'm reading the Common English Bible uh, as the virgin. As the version. Yeah, not the virgin. That'd be awkward. So again, Luke 13, uh, verse 10. 
Jesus was teaching one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. A woman was there who'd been disabled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and couldn't stand up straight. When he saw her, Jesus called to him and said, Women, you are set free from your sickness. He placed his hands on her, and she straightened up at once and praised God. The synagogue leader was incensed that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. and responded, as we heard already, there are six days during which work is permitted. Come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord replied, hypocrites, don't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from its stall and lead it out to get a drink? Then isn't it necessary that this woman, a daughter of Abraham, bound by Satan for 18 long years, be set free from her bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said these things, all his opponents were put to shame. But all those in the crowd rejoiced at all the extraordinary things he was doing. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Um, so it was Sabbath. It was the church. And as we just heard, there were rules in place. Um, but what I noticed about this, this woman had been coming to church for 18 years. Now, one of the awkward things we got to say about this text is, you know, um, the equation of having a disease or illness with demon possession. So that's something we could have a long conversation about. I'm not sure that always works all that real well. Perhaps she had osteoporosis. We don't know. She was bent over. And so, but one of the things we know is that her life was not full. Uh, there was pain in the life, and her identity was probably severely damaged by those things. But what I love about this text is it said that Jesus saw her. I wondered how many folks come in and out of our church, and do we ever see them? Well, I mean, we see them, but we don't really, like, see them. Those of you who are old, anybody old here? Uh, maybe you saw the movie Avatar. Any Avatar people, right? All right. Um, it was a movie came out, and that is the recent history. Um, uh, this is now pop culture history. I apologize for the secular stuff. Avengers Endgame just broke, I think, Avatar, Titanic's records. It was amazing. It was exciting. I don't know. It's whatever. Um, but in Avatar, it's this place. They go to this far-off land. And the people, you got to know this, see, um, the people are called the Navaim, which is the Hebrew word for prophet. See, there's lots of things that little people do about weird languages. And one of the things about the Navaim do to each other is their greeting is they say, I see you. Um, and that isn't simply a seeing, that's a looking deep within. I see you. I see who you are. I see you in front of me. Who you are. I don't glance at you. I don't just bypass you, but I see you. How well do we see each other? Sometimes I've noticed when my life is busy and I've got things to do, I have a wonderful office. We love students at NNU. Without students, we don't have a work. Um, but I'm often doing things. And I leave my door open. And sometimes students will come in. And I've got other things to do. But I've learned one of the invitations is not just simply to solve their issue, because many of them, they need to be seen. I need to say, hey, we'll solve this issue. How are you doing really? And to look and to look at each other. Um, that takes time, first of all, and it gets messy. Because people are, you know what people are? They're messy. 
you are messy. You've got issues, right? Um, and one of the things God invites us to is to look deeply into one another. Um, and again, what I've often noticed, and when my life is so busy, uh, I often don't have the space, or I've got enough wounds in my life, I don't have the space to be able to see one another. Um, and sometimes when things are not going well for me, I don't want to be seen. I don't want folks to, to, to look in and to see the areas of hurt and pain that are within my life. So the first thing I notice about this text is that Jesus saw her. One of the things to do we're going to do a little bit is go have a great barbecue. Um, I can't say for a lot of it. It's Sydney's, my daughter's birthday. So I'm having a birthday party back there in, in Nampa. But I'll eat some food. Don't worry. I'll, I'll make sure some of it. Here's my uh, challenge to eat at our potluck today. Um, that God can see somebody today. I mean to see them. Not just glance at them, but as God gives the opportunity to see them. Um, again, what can be challenging is we can go by and just kind of, it's amazing how we be in big crowds and still feel and be all alone. But she was seen. Jesus looks at her, touches her, and heals her. He has compassion upon her, um, and she is well. One of the things you notice about the text is often what happens. Why does Jesus heal people physically? As I've said before, I mentioned those of you who were um, paying attention in June, which is like, I don't know, I, mean, I was, whatever. Um, we had this conversation about why does Jesus heal folks? Because again, uh, even the Lazarus who is dead, the dead girl, the blind folks, the lame, guess what? Yeah, they all died again. So why even bother? Right? Why bother even the healing? Right? Isn't heaven better anyway? I brought bring Lazarus back. There's lots of things about Jesus healing. One of the things important is this, and this woman is a classic case. Her identity probably wasn't her name. Her identity was, oh, she's the bent over woman. She's the bad backed woman. You remember one of my other favorite great stories to preach is the story um, in Mark about blind Bartimaeus. He's called in that text Bartimaeus one time, but the blind man four times. How many people in our life, they don't have a name, they are that disease or that dysfunction or that relationship broke? I mean, you know, their, their definition is this kind of thing. We just label them, right? And that's all they are. And for many in that church, oh, she's our bent over woman, right? Um, and what it feels to be the case is she hadn't been seen in a while. Bartimaeus was only known as the blind guy. He wasn't known as son of Timothy. He was known as that blind guy. How often do we let those words for us define us? And maybe there's issues that you've defined yourself by the sin of 85. Or you've defined yourself by a, a broken thing, perhaps it was done to you or someone um, you did to someone else. And God, in all those cases, wants to begin to work a healing. So she's healed. But not everybody's happy. We got rules, right? Now, again, here's one of the things we have to remind ourselves. You did a great job, Pastor Adriana, setting this up. Rules are a good thing. Without rules, what do we have? Chaos. There's often a, an idea in life, it's called the idea of relativity. What's right for me is right for me. Wrong for you is wrong for you. Many of my college kids for about 45 seconds think they love that idea. I say, isn't it a great world? You just pick and choose what you want to do is right. Then I'll explain, but when that happens, God has told me on Thursdays, I get to hit people in the face. 
just Thursdays. It's not, it's, it's not your issue. It's just my issue. So it's no problem for me because God's told me it's okay. Well, you can see where this is going to go, right? Um, a world of relativity is a God of chaos. So rules are helpful. And in fact, um, not some of you, but other Christians, they've often picked on the Pharisees and Sadducees. But you need to know their history. They, uh, they each have a unique kind of history how they come about. The Jews had abandoned the law. They, were, they had left the law and they had abandoned it, were doing as things they saw fit. They were following their cultural oppressor at the time who was in, uh, occupying them, following their ways. And so both Pharisees and Sadducees rise up to make the law central for their life. They're really important. In fact, we're, you know, we're pretty sure Jesus was a Pharisee. That's why he knows them so well, why he's so hard on them, and why he has deep love for them. Because he knows they have great passion, and the rules are important. Remember, Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the laws, but fulfill them. But the danger was the following the law had become their God. This is how we get the term legalism. So the, the Sabbath laws were very important to say, what does it mean we're going to devote? By the way, Sabbath does not mean lazy, right? Um, Sabbath means a time devoted to God. So it's important we devote time to God and have rest and leisure. It is not good for your physical body to have to work, labor seven days a week. Some of you have been in eras like that. It's just not good. It wasn't fun. It is good to have rest. And in that rest to say, God, I want to remind ourselves that all my strength can come from you. So it's physiologically important. It's um, spiritually important as well. And so the Sabbath laws weren't a bad thing. But all of a sudden, you see there's a law that comes into place that makes no sense. There was someone who was sick and bent over. And this happened several times. It was in Luke 4 and in Luke 6. And now in Luke 13, the third time Jesus is healed on the Sabbath. And every time folks were enraged. Why is it that sometimes, not you, those other people, get upset when other folks get healed. Do you ever get jealous of somebody else's healing? When their, when their answer to prayer comes, maybe you're jealous because yours hasn't or didn't. I remember here, this is one of the hard things about life, right? We, when folks are sick, we pray for them. And James tells us, pray, pray for God, pray for healing, and we do. I'll never forget a few years ago, um, some of you might know the name uh, Pastor Mike Weeby. Mike Weeby was the music pastor at uh, Nampa First Church for many years, I think 17, 18, 19 years. Now it's been, I don't know how long ago, Valerie, I don't know, five, six years ago, Mike had cancer, long battle, it was a year and a half, and eventually on Easter Sunday morning, he died. And the church, we processed, I mean, because we're all spiritual, sanctified people, we were praying, a lot of us were praying. And like, God, Mike is great, he has many more years of ministry ahead of himself, but Why? One of the awkward things, if we're honest in the church, is when we pray, God doesn't always answer the way we want God to answer those prayers. And that can be hard. And so sometimes when, you know, somebody else's husband is healed of cancer and mine is not, I get jealous. And naturally so. I mean, we wouldn't blame somebody. And the truth is, and this is sometimes life is this kind of awkward mystery. That while we certainly celebrate Mike being in heaven, Sometimes, sometimes there are occasions when you don't like somebody else's miracle. 
You see, the Jews were also nervous of Jesus' power. Um, they weren't sure who he was. They were afraid that he would be a threat, upset the equilibrium, and discount the laws. And they knew fault, the breaking of the laws wasn't good. But Jesus came to say, look, in another passage, Sabbath was made for humanity, not humanity for the Sabbath. And the danger is, well, how many of you are rule followers? Raise your hands. Okay, those are good. This is why civilization works well, because of you. How many of you are rule breakers? Raise your hands. Okay, that's why we have laws, because of you. Uh, they weren't you. I, um, and we're all together. I think we're a little bit, two-thirds and one-third. That's a good proportion. That's good. Um, uh, rules are important. Um, but there's a danger when all of a sudden the rule can become the focus, and you lose sight uh, whether it's healing the man's withered hand, this woman bent over, wouldn't that be a what, what better thing to do than someone found in hurt and in pain, physically or emotionally, finding healing? And of course, we think God can heal on any day, but the Sabbath day, a day that says, God, all we are is yours, why not a great day to heal? Um, but it's curious to me the times in our life when the healing comes. So what about us today? Where, what are, where is some legalism creeping in? Um, where are some places as we as a church where we have laws and rules that are good and they're helpful, but occasionally we can lose sight of what they are about? I, I remember as a kid, um, some vulnerability times, I was walking through the church. I remember way, the way in which folks who got divorces were treated. And there were, um, this is reading people, scarlet letters that would be developed for them. They were that divorced person, divorcee. Now, I would say culturally in the, in the church that some of those stigmas, you know, and divorces are never, I think um, there's brokenness always there, but sometimes it's the best way forward in cases of great abuse or great victimization. Um, it's never a happy thing, but sometimes it has, sometimes it's the best thing, the best of the worst, if you will. But another issue, to be honest with you, that I'm really concerned about the church today is how we are treating folks, um, the LGBT community. Now, that's a very hot topic in our culture today. Many Christians, um, how do we deal with that? Um, how do we deal with folks who are struggling with transgender issues? Um, I had a friend this week come to me who told me their son, who is 16, has said, I think I'm a girl. And they're broken. Um, they want to love that, their child. Um, and what all that means. Um, I would just say to us, within all the complexities of those who deal with lesbian or gay relationships, transgender issues, um, the church needs to be the place of love. There are issues there about what is sinful and what is not. And those are important conversations. But I would say... It is crucial. I'm concerned that the church, because some of those things make some of us feel uncomfortable, we push folks away. There's, there's, it's not an accident that many kids who grow up in the, in the church who find themselves lesbian or gay commit suicide because they have no place to share. They, they feel ostracized and feel condemned. So I don't know what the issue is, but our legalism has to be cautious about how are we loving and compassionate and seeing one another in their places of pain and brokenness and hurt. One of my friends, um, his kids are my youth group. 
and um, they were some of our best friends. This uh, great story. One time, they were big Cubs fans. Going to, uh, they were going to Chicago from Kansas City, driving to the middle of the night to get to a game, and they um, uh, they had four people in the car: the dad, the son, the daughter, and fiance in the back seat. It's like two thirty a.m. They're at McDonald's, you know, getting a drink and using the restroom. So they go in there and they come back in the back. In the back, they were both sleeping. So the son and the dad, friends, they go out. The rest of them come back in. They take off and they drive like ten minutes. Then, you know, the brother says to the dad, "You realize, dad, that Emily's not in the back seat." <laughs> and he's like, "Well, thanks for telling me that now." <laughs> so he turns around and she, sure enough, she wasn't. She had woken up and used the restroom, and they hadn't noticed. Um, so they had gotten back to the McDonald's. And she was a little bit hostile. Uh, <laughs> not that being at McDonald's at 2.30 in North Iowa at a.m. isn't awesome, but um, um, we moved uh, from Kansas City to Chicago. Uh, and um, the mom of that family uh, got cancer and about four months later died. And that created um, a kind of um, pain in their life that was debilitating. Um, for a long time, uh, the family stopped going to church. They had prayed earnestly, but they were angry at God. God had not healed. To be honest with you, those, my friends, are not yet back in church. I heard they just maybe started coming back. It's been now 15 years. Um, the folks tried to love them, but their hurt was so, it was a place where they could not pray be some of you at times in your life when you could not pray. The pain or the anger was so intense um, that you could not pray. Some of you perhaps, there's two kind of places here. Some of you perhaps, like this woman bent over, maybe it, maybe it is a physical ailment. Maybe it's an emotional one that has been plaguing you for a recent or long time. And there is hurt and pain there. It's defining you. It's bigger than your name. That has defined you as who you are. And perhaps the first thing today we can offer you is for the church and Christ to look at you deeply in the eye and for God to say, I see you. The next question is, what does it mean to begin to find healing? And I know this long enough, sometimes the healing process is too painful. And I know it isn't just simply kind of a like magic kind of bam, you're all done and things automatically are erased. But maybe the question is, is there are people who are wanting God to heal again? And perhaps again, we don't know this other woman they've been praying for for the whole 18 years. We don't know that they've been trying. And so we pray and some of the healings God can work. Sometimes healings, it's, it doesn't happen in our timetable. But the key is, can we keep coming back? And for some of us, we're tired of praying to be honest, because the answer hasn't come. For 18 years, this, this woman was praying, perhaps, I don't know if he gave up hope or not, but she had come that day and God offered healing. I don't know where you are today. I don't want to kind of sell a quick fix magic Shazam, but I do know that first of all, and this is often the case, that hopefully you can feel like God is seeing you today. He sees you in your joy, in your praise, but he also is seeing you in the places where perhaps there is pain and hurt and heartache. And number one, just know this, you are not alone. 
I don't know what the journey towards life and healing and reconciliation might look like. To be honest with you, I'm not sure all of you are wanting to be healed. That sounds awkward, right? But I'm old and I've been around people. That's the first question you have to ask. What does it mean to look towards healing and all the complexities of whatever that means, right? But perhaps some of you want to say again, God, I, I, I need healing in my life. Um, I can't promise you it will all happen as you want it, when you want it. But that's the first step is to know you are not alone in your pain. And one thing I can say is that God did not heal Mike Weeby, but God was with us in our pain, our continual mourning. So I want to be honest. I'm going to tell you something cheap here. Does that make sense? But to know that you are not alone, but that God can work healing. Um, there are prayers God always answers. God always answers the prayer, God, I have sinned in my life, and I need you to forgive me. God will always answer your prayer, God, help me to be humble. Help me to be compassionate. There are prayers God will always answer. Some of the things are more complex. God, you know, when there are relationships involved in more than one person, that becomes more complex, doesn't it? But what does it mean for you to say, God, in this relationship, help me to be what you want me to be. I had another friend come to me this week. And there was an issue that happened five years ago. And she and this friend were very, very close. And some things actually happened outside their relationship, but they kind of had to pit, well, it ended up being pitting two people against one another. There was lots of folks involved, and it was just ugly and sad. And as a byproduct, the wake of that disaster, this relationship was fractured, and there was pain. And when my friends in a sermon a few weeks ago, and God said, we need to work on this. So she began the slow process of reaching out to this person, and they're going to have coffee, I think, in two weeks. Um, God can work good things. It is not easy or fun all the time. But God can work healing. I, I don't know what you're, what you're thinking about today. The great news is today is that God sees you, sees your pain, whether things have been done to you, you've been the victim of some things, or the perpetrator. God wants to begin to work healing. Um, and it's, it can be a process as long. And the other thing is this. What does it mean for the rest, for, for others of us, or and in, in addition... What does it mean that you have the space in your life to see others in your world? Have you seen your kids lately? I mean, seen them? Have you seen your parents lately? Siblings, co-workers, relatives, boss? Person who cuts your hair, have you seen them? I know your lives are full and busy. But one of my prayers is, God, help me to take the time to see people. And I, and I know it's not because your life is perfect, you have the space. I've often known this. When I've created the space to see people, some of the things in my life have a different perspective. The great news this morning is that God is the power in our life. It's not simply about you trying harder. You're going to fail. I'm going to fail. But God can help us. Amen? God can breathe a forger of a new day of new hope. God is the God of new creation. And the great thing today is we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper. It is this great meal of a couple things. Number one, we celebrate a meal of thanksgiving. We say, God, thank you for saving me. It's a God who can do new things. But also the church would eat it. The church would be remembered, right? The members of the church would kind of come back together. And the church would take this meal and often... They would have the passing of the peace we had earlier as a way to bring reconcile, being reconciled together. And this meal would help us in that reconciliation. 
um, it's harder to have meals with enemies. And in fact, often when there are warring sides, meals or coffee can be a great start to begin. And so we have this meal of joy, of reconciliation. This meal can also be this. And I invite you to think about this. When you come forward, if you can't move forward, we'll come to you. Um, when you come forward in the front or the back, um, I want you to come with your hands cupped. And in your coming, I want this to be your prayer. God, I give you all of my life again today. My hurts, my pains, and my joys. It's more than just coming up and getting the bread and walking back. But what does your very movement say as an embodied prayer? God, I want to give you the joys and also those hard things and those pains in my life to begin to work a new thing. Or, if nothing else, God, help me to want you to work healing in my life. Wherever you are, that you're receiving this Eucharist, this body and blood of Christ, can be a way for us to encounter God's grace. And then, as you have been doing and will do, God heals us and is healing us through a long journey that we could go out and be a blessing to others. Not that we are the source of healing, but can share the healing God works in our life. As we're still broken folks finding healing, there have been plenty of other broken folks who are looking for healing, and we get to share what God is doing. So in a few moments, we'll invite you all to receive the Lord's Supper. On the night which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He broke it. He gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat as my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, when the supper was over, he took a cup and gave thanks to the disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for these emblems. Make them indeed be the body and the blood of Christ that we may be the body and blood of Christ, reconciled and redeemed. Lord, make us one with your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that these moments of the Lord's Supper, that you would let us participate in this meal of thanksgiving. Lord, in our coming forward, may we say, God, thank you for your blessings and your provisions. Also, Lord, we come saying, God, I yield you again the places of hurt and pain in my life that linger. Lord, I pray you'd hear those prayers and begin to work a new thing in new relationships, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And Lord, as we partake of this, you also invite us to be sent from this place to indeed be the body and blood of Christ in our world, not because our lives are perfect, but as we are finding healing, we can share that healing in life with others. Lord, bless this meal. May it be a means of grace for us as we celebrate your love and your grace. Lord, may we see you today. May we allow you to transform and heal us to be a transformation to others. In Christ's name, amen. Let us pray the prayer of the Lord and Savior taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. the servers to come at this time. The bread is gluten-free, so hopefully that will make it accessible for all of you. There'll be in two stations up front here and one in the back. 
Um, we invite all of you who are hungry and thirsty to come. Again, I invite you to have your hands cupped. Um, they will take the bread and put it in your hands and say the body of Christ broken for you. Dip it in the juice to say the blood of Christ shed for you. I invite all who are hungry and thirsty to come. If you can't come physically, we'll come to you in a few moments. So all who are hungry and thirsty are invited to come to the table today. Father God, we thank you for being here and meeting us where we are at. May we take the word and apply it in our lives and go from this place. In your name we pray, amen. May the source of life keep you in the faith. Go in action and go in peace. Amen.